today our scripture readings in John, uh, it's going to be verses 2 through 11, John 8, 2 through 11, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have the basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who have heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. And when the woman was standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and live your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. I wasn't even cursing. <laughs> well, we're going to have to explain this scripture, aren't we? Um, <laughs> Ah, uh, anyway, everybody excited? See, so come back to church so that you can uh, see what the scriptures like, right? But um, anyway, before we get started, um, we got a couple of couple of slides here. I think that was the name of the school. Is uh, just read that a minute. See, that would all work, right? Um. So that's really all I have, but somebody, I, I've accumulated some stuff that I, I wanted to share a few of them each week because there's probably too many of them, but it's um, tips from cowboys, every, everyday wisdom. And I'll just do a couple of them here that says, never squat with your spurs on. <laughs> never kick a fresh cow chip on a hot day. And I'll do one more. It says there's two theories to arguing with a woman. Neither one works. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll continue some of those uh, later on. So let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this wonderful day, this time that we can be here uh, with fellow believers just to worship and praise you and study the word together. And we just pray that your word just speaks to us. We, we pray for those who are unable to be here today, and, and we just pray for those that are traveling, with those that aren't feeling well. Uh, we just pray for a special touch for them. But more than anything else, Lord, let us just draw our attention to you and to you only. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know what happened in the middle part of the church today, but uh, everybody left. So, uh, they must be uh, living their life of sin. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> you know we're going to enjoy that for quite a while, Ronnie. <laughs> anyway, there's a there's a lot that I want to uh, share today, and 
all the stuff that's going on in the world. There's there's just so many so much news, and and I think grace becomes an important topic because I think we're talking about how grace and how vital it is in our lives. Because on our own, I don't think we really truly understand God's grace. It's a game changer if we really get down to it. And last week we talked about the prodigal son and, and kind of the love of the father and the grace that was there. Today we got another story uh, with the woman accused of adultery. And that's where we're headed. We got some great, some great Bible stories that are real stories that bring God's grace into our lives. Now around 70 years ago or so, there was a conference on comparative religions. And they had this at Cambridge University. And so they had theologians and scholars from all around the world. And they came together to explore various religious ideas. And one of the topics that they discussed was which belief or doctrine is unique to Christianity. Because many of the things that Christians believe, that we believe, other religions believe too in some respects. But the question is, what is unique about the Christian faith? Well, C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Cambridge during this time, he was part of that conference, and as he walked in the room, someone said to him, what do you believe is, is Christianity's unique contribution among the world religions? And without even thinking, he just wrote it out, grace. It's the grace of God. Well, these theologians discussed it and debated it for quite a while. And really they came to that same conclusion that Christianity is the only religion which believes that God, God's love is offered to us free with no strings attached. And that His grace and His mercy are available to everyone. That's why I say grace is really a game changer. The problem is, now how many of you have gone to church for more than uh, uh, six months? How about uh, six years? How about 60 years? How about 160 years? We've got a couple over there. uh, You look good for your age there. Um, When we've been in the church for quite a while, I think we have a tendency to take God's grace for granted. And we kind of look at it as it's just a given. It no longer grabs us. It no longer surprises us that grace shows the depth of God's love and the sacrifice that He made for each one of us. But at the same time, there's also a lot of people that aren't very comfortable with grace. Because they they would make the statement, they would say, you can't make salvation too easy or forgiveness too easy, otherwise people are going to run wild. And if that's the case, then if I experience grace at all, let's just all keep on sinning. Kind of like the Scripture this morning. but no. That's twice, Ronnie. Got it in there twice. But there are some that are in the church who give the impression that God's mercy is limited, His love is conditional, and that forgiveness is something you receive when somehow you find yourself worthy. 
And they believe that the only there has it has to be that way, otherwise people are just going to do what they want. And there won't be any consequences for their actions. So they say, maybe what we need to do is put down a bunch of rules. This is what Christians are supposed to, to be like. A list of rules that say, these are the things you can do, these are the things you can't do. And so if we will follow those rules, then we're in. If we don't follow the rules, then we're out. I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Now, like I said last week, the problem with that is we really don't know how much good is really needed to go. I've done enough good, so now I'm blessed, I go to heaven. Or we don't know how much bad disqualifies us. I mean, that's what we kind of talked about last week. So today, in this uh, passage of Scripture out of John 8, it shows us a few things about grace. And I'm going to read the passage again. And I think in my notes I have it in cursive. I'm not sure. That's three times. But if you just follow with me, because I think this Scripture is so important that I think we need to just digest it, and I don't think you can ever read the Scripture too much. So just listen. Look on the screen or whatever it might be as we read the Scripture. It says, At dawn He appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around Him and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So what do we learn from this story? First off, I want to kind of face the obvious part. There's a really great injustice in this story. The woman who was caught in adultery was the only one brought. Seems to me it would take two people for adultery to take place, right? And so, the Old Testament was pretty clear that both the man and the woman should be stoned if they were found guilty of adultery. But we don't see the man anywhere to be found here. It appears that he was let go and only the accusers bring this woman. Now, first of all, that tells you a lot about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of this time. How they chose to condemn one, but not the other. And of course, the one they chose to condemn would have been the weaker one, especially in that society, in that culture. Women didn't have many rights. But there's also a very terrifying truth that's evident in this situation. 
which I don't think we can ignore because when it comes to sin, when it comes to our sin, we're on our own. Now think about this for a moment. We're on our own for our sin. That's kind of the terrible truth of sin. When you get to the end of the line, you stand alone. We can try and make excuses. We can try and shift the blame to other people. Yet the reality of it is, we're still on our own. We have to accept responsibility for our actions. How many times have you tried to reason with someone else about why they did something? And depending on the situation, there might not be any reason involved in it. But you try to reason with them. How many times have we tried to justify our reason for doing something wrong? Everybody got quiet. See, each of us has to face the facts that we're guilty and we have to take responsibility for our actions. No blaming others. No excuses. And here's the tough part of it. Taking responsibility is tough. But I think what's really important here is that in order to take grace seriously, we have to take sin seriously. Because I think sometimes we're more upset over the fact that we got caught rather than we did something wrong. We sinned. And we try to cast the blame somewhere else. I'm sorry, officer. I was running late and I couldn't find my cat. a good excuse, isn't it? I couldn't pay my bills because I thought my team was going to win and I bet all my money on them. So it's not my fault. We could go a long time on this. Um, I'm sorry I hit that other car, but they weren't driving right in the first place. Ever use those? You can use those. There's no copyright on those. You can use those. <laughs> but we can come up with all numerous excuses to use, but in the end, we got to take sin seriously and we need to have a repentant heart and spirit. Because I believe that we struggle with grace because we don't take our own sinfulness very serious. We can even say that there are, are those people out there that falsely condemn us. Some people will make things up about us just to make us look bad before other people. And that happens. You've probably experienced that. But if we look at our, our story here in John 8, this woman was guilty. She was not falsely accused. And so one of the things, another thing we could take from this story is that our sin ultimately is between, my sin's between me and God. After King David committed murder, committed adultery, he wrote 
in his psalm of repentance in Psalm 51.4, he says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now it's interesting that David uses that phrase, Against you only, have I sinned. And so we look at it and say, what about his adultery with Bathsheba? What about her husband Uriah in whom he had killed? He sinned against them as well, didn't he? And David isn't saying, I didn't do wrong against Uriah or Bathsheba. He knows he was wrong, but ultimately he knew that his sin was against God. Because you see, whenever we sin, we sin against God. That's who we're to seek and please first. We're supposed to love God first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit, and everything else that you might have. Love your neighbor as yourself. So whenever we sin, that sin might be against someone else, but it's always directed towards God. Now what was most important for this woman was not her accusers, but it was her relationship with God. How do we deal with God after we've sinned? If we really want to experience the power of God's grace, we have to take our sin seriously. And I'm not talking about beating ourselves up over our sin. Let me make a sermon down the road. But we need to come before God. In this story of this woman caught in adultery, we ultimately read that these other men that were accusing her laid down their stones and they walked away. And I think every believer needs to understand that ultimately the matter of forgiveness is between you and God. The opinions, the accusations, the judgments, the condemnations of other people are only secondary. All that we say and do, or we don't say and don't do, is ultimately between us and God. Now, at the same time, I'm not going to let you off the hook too easy on that. you got to understand that when we do hurt someone, we're called to make restitution. And we'll get into that sometime. We need to seek their forgiveness. We don't ignore the actions, their act, our actions and hurts towards others. I'm not saying we're getting off the hook that way. But we need to take full responsibility. We need to seek forgiveness without making any kind of excuse. Other people may seek to condemn and refuse to forgive you, but here's the exciting part. God is gracious, and the good news is, is that when you come before God and you confess your sinfulness, God pours out His grace and His mercy and, and He washes away your sins. Listen to David's prayer to God in, in, in Psalm 51, verses 2 and 7. He says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7 says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So you see what David's asking for? He wants to be clean again. He wants his heart and spirit to finally be calm. He wants to experience the peace and the power and the presence of God in his life. And God's peace and presence only come upon us when we humble ourselves before God. 
We can't live in sin and assume we're still going to be in God's presence. We need to surrender ourselves to God. That's what David was doing. It's what we need to do as well. So we have this story of the woman caught in adultery. There's a, there's a lot of questions it brings. What did Jesus write in the sand? You know? It's been really interesting to know more about what's going on in here. And I think if we were supposed to know that, it would be in there. But as we come to the end of this story in John 8, there's some people who think Jesus was way too soft on this woman's sin. He doesn't punish her. He doesn't even really condemn her. So some would say he's letting her off the hook and he's looking the other way. I mean, if Jesus would have said, I don't condemn you, have a great day. That'd probably be another story. But that's not what he said. Jesus said something really different than that. Verse 11 says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. He's not letting her off the hook. Jesus was telling her, yes, you have sinned. But now, you've asked for forgiveness. As you go back into the world, leave your life of sin. He's telling her to be a new person. To be a new creation. Because you have met the Savior of the world. And if the Savior of the world is not going to condemn you, who is? But grace seems almost too easy. One of the problems is, is in our world that we live, we don't recognize sin as an issue. And if we don't believe we've ever sinned, then we don't believe we need God's grace, and so we won't come to God. Are you guys excited as you're here today? Didn't know we were talking about this, right? If we don't believe we need God's grace, then we'll not come to God and we will assume that we're in with God because of our good works. And we have no fear because if you don't believe in God, then you don't feel you need God. So there must not be any consequences, so I'll go live whatever I want. But that phrase in our passage today, the phrase from Jesus to the woman is exactly what God expects from each one of us today. Go now and leave your life of sin. And God is saying, I offer you grace. I offer you mercy. I offer you forgiveness. My presence. My peace. My power. Go and sin no more. Grace means we don't get what we deserve. Because what we deserve is God's punishment. That's why this is a series. There's so much of this in grace. We're going to keep going. 
Unless you want me to do it all. I could do the whole series today if you want. We could do that, you know. Get done, we could say Happy New Year. But as I as I tend to end this part of grace this morning, remember that while we sin against others and we hurt other people and we need to ask and seek their forgiveness, remember that our ultimate sin is against God. And whatever your sin issues are, remember this. God is willing to forgive. He is willing to extend grace to each one of us. But we have to come to Him admitting that we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've got to humble ourselves. But boy, he, does, he sure extends grace. Because all of us are guilty. All of us are surrounded by accusations. And yet we stand before the righteous judge waiting for judgment. And that all sounds really, really scary. But here's what the judge tells us. As Satan's laying out his case against each one of us, it's looking pretty bad. He's highlighting all of the sins that we've done, which is not much fun. And it looks bad. Looks like we're going to be banished from heaven. Jesus, our defense attorney, gets up with a scarred body. He takes the punishment for us and he proclaims, you are clean. You are cleansed. You are purified. And it's all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He says, you have received what you don't deserve. Grace. And I hope that all of us here have received God's grace this morning. And to me, the exciting part is it doesn't matter how bad we might have been or the things that we've done. If we humbly come before God, He forgives us. I don't know about you, that's exciting. But then he tells us, go now and leave your life of sin. Don't keep wallowing in it. Do something about it. I freed you from it. I've forgiven you. So now live a free life. And so I trust that you've done that this morning, that if you're struggling with this sin thing, I think, and, and you're beating yourself up saying, I'm just too bad. I, I, I can't. Those are just lies. God says, not only I can, but I will forgive you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word and this story that shed so much, a little bit more and a lot of light on the subject of grace. And Lord, I just pray this morning if there's anyone here that's really struggling in their own life and they're feeling like they're all alone and they're, they're feeling like they've done too much or whatever the case might be or maybe they're making excuses for the way that they're living, I just pray right now that they can just humble themselves before You. And just accept that tremendous gift of salvation which really brings grace to our lives. And so Lord, this morning I thank You for Your Word and I just pray as we continue singing and rejoicing that we can just give You all the glory and honor that You deserve. And I thank You for extending grace to each one of us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.